School's out. Story time. The Wild Swans, Part Three. Eliza saw the giant oaken door looming over her forebodingly. The palace that had looked so beautiful and crystal clear from afar now appeared cloudy and mysterious as they got closer to its walls. Her companion, the gruff old man with the unnaturally long eyebrows, hadn't said more than two words on their tramp through town from the graveyard. Now he raised his large, gnarled hand and beat three authoritative raps on the huge door. A panel slid open, and a weasley-looking face appeared. Well, it was mainly a nose from Eliza's view, as the panel was far above her head. What is it? Asked the nose in a reedy, thin voice. I brought a trespasser to see His Majesty," said Eliza's companion. The nose pointed downward, and Eliza saw two beady eyes behind a silver pair of spectacles appraising her. The nose twitched. After a moment, the voice resumed. She certainly doesn't look like much of a threat. Pretty young lady, aren't you? But so ragged. Oh well, bring her in. I'm sure they'll figure out some suitable punishment. What say you to that, my girl? He looks down at her, not unkindly, his nose wobbling with anticipation. Eliza wanted to tell them that she had been thrown out of her home by an evil stepmother who was really a sorceress, who had enchanted her brothers and made them into swans. That she really was just trying to save them and was being helped by fairies to sew magical nettle tunics, but. Of course, given that part of her pledge to save her brothers required her absolute silence, she said nothing. The nose twitched faster, as though showing annoyance. Then, with a sniff, the voice said, "Fine, Bornard, bring the insolent little thing inside." Bornard responded with a grunt, and the doors creaked open. A little man climbed down from a very tall ladder. Once he got down to the ground, Eliza saw that the gatekeeper really wasn't much taller than she, and had an egg-shaped bald head with whiskers of bright orange clinging desperately to his sunken jowls, and a nose that seemed quite seven eighths of his body. He was wearing a fastidiously tailored suit of a deep orange and carrying a very large scroll. Before I take you to see the king, I need your name, child. Eliza went to take the feathered quill that he was brandishing in his left hand. Now at least she could write her name. She couldn't tell her story, but this was something. The little man slapped her hand away. No, 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 no! Only Fausto may touch the royal quill and scroll. Eliza looked confused. He clarified. I am Meister Fausto, royal scribe and gatekeeper, holder of all entries and master of. We need to get her to the king now. I have business to attend to back at the graveyard, and I I want my reward. You can tell her the rest of your important titles later. Come, girl. And with that said, the grizzled old Bornard rudely pushed past the pompous little man, who seemed on the verge of some sort of apoplectic fit. 
and dragged Eliza unceremoniously down the hallway. Bornad, you peasant! King Ferdinand is going to hear about your insubordinations! Why, I am writing down your full name on this scroll, complete with a full detailed account of your actions! His shrill and angry voice faded behind them as they turned a corner. The hallway had widened into a grand entrance. On either side were the colors and sigils of what must be all the important houses in the land. Eliza had never been this far from her home before, and all the names and coats of arms were very foreign to her. At the far end of this room was a giant throne, with a smaller one to its left, and a huge bearskin rug that had a bear's head that looked as big as Eliza's entire body, gaping angrily facing all visitors. On the throne sat the most handsome man Eliza had ever seen. He had dark, waving hair, a kind mouth and resolute jaw, and very blue eyes that sparkled with light. Eliza felt herself almost relax. He looked so kind. Perhaps he could help her. To the left of the handsome king sat a small woman. She had dark waving hair like him, and the same resolute jaw and blue eyes, but hers were icy and appraising. No humor there, and little kindness. Eliza's heart sank. She hoped she wouldn't have to talk to this fierce lady. The king spoke. Bornad, and how can we help you today? More reward money, I'll wager. Isn't this the third time you've brought us a poacher or trespasser this week? Bornad growled. Round this and in the graveyard, your majesty. She was seeing the sewing, the stinging that was the, what looked like a cape. Refuses to speak, your majesty. I reckon she might, might, might be a witch. The king laughed and crossed down from his throne and across the rug until he was standing next to Eliza. He looked down at her kindly and then turned her face up to him. Come, my dear. Surely you can explain to us what you are doing. Bornad is very often overzealous in his eagerness to receive monetary rewards. Help us know why you were there. Eliza looked into his kind eyes and something inside her jumped. It was though she had known him, always. He was her home. Their eyes locked for a full moment, and she saw the same recognition in him. She wanted to tell this man everything, not just about her brothers and Morbena, but about all her dreams and her fears. But remembering her vow of silence, she instead had to tear her gaze away from him and look down. Well, of all the insolence, Bornard, you have done well. See the royal palace at the, at the rear gate for your reward. Ferdinand, if this woman is a witch, she must be put to death. We cannot have her in the palace for fear of bad luck. The small lady had crossed down from the dais to stand next to the king, her appraising eyes raking across Eliza, who instinctively clutched her bag closer to her. Bornard released his grip. Much obliged, your highness. Your majesty... And with a pull on his hat and an awkward bow, he took his leave. The king had turned to the woman. Mother, she's a helpless girl. We have to at least give her the chance to explain herself. He looked at Eliza, but she could only shrug helplessly. Queen Francina drew herself up to her full, diminutive height. She... She has obviously been bewitched. If she isn't a witch herself, Ferdinand, we must do what is right to protect our people. Guards! As if by magic, four armored men appeared from the shadows and surrounded Eliza. Take her to the tower, said Queen Francina. She'll be put to death at the stake at dawn. 
but mother, protested King Ferdinand. Ferdinand, oh, you're still young, and I am here to guide you. This is right for our people, for your people. A witch must be put to death. Ferdinand spoke this time with more authority. Mother, you're right that I am young, but I am the king. I will do what is best for my subjects. But I will not put an innocent young girl to death without giving her a chance. He turned and looked at Eliza. Miss, I will give you three days and three nights. At the end of this time, you will have to publicly explain yourself. You will be in the tower, but as my guest, not as a prisoner. He turned away from the icy gaze of his mother. Guards. Please escort the young lady back to the North Tower. Make sure she has brought food, a change of clothes, and is made comfortable. Pointedly avoiding his mother's gaze, he locked eyes with Eliza once more. And you see his eyes pleading with her to say something, anything to prove she wasn't a witch. Disappointed in herself and unable to hurt this man, she pulled her eyes downwards miserably. The king sighed audibly. That is all. And Eliza was escorted, though not roughly, from the great hall. Once ensconced in her quarters, which were plush, hung with tapestries, and complete with a four-poster bed with maroon velvet duvet, Eliza was greeted with a hot bath, clean dress of a vivid sage green, and a delicious beef stew. She had also been allowed to keep her bag and began frantically sewing the nettles again. She still had six more shirts to complete, but her nettle supply was almost gone. How could she finish? Feeling defeated, Eliza sewed the last nettle into the seventh tunic, and trying to ignore the now bleeding blisters on her hands and arms, blew out the candle, and laid down to sleep. No sooner had she done so, when suddenly there was a gust of wind that whipped through her bedchamber like a forced whisper, and her candle leapt back alight. Then she heard a sound, like tinkling bells, and saw dancing lights at the tiny slit of a window. The fairies! The fairies had found her! She ran to the window. There was Ritziana! Eliza, how could you let yourself get caught? We've had to search for you all day, whisking me around all these humans, having to go inside a palace. <laughs> Eliza, of course, not being able to speak to even Ritziana, could only shrug helplessly. The Queen's tirade went on for several minutes as the poor girl just stood there, helpless. Finally, Ritziana, apparently appeasing herself through her tantrum, continued in a more reasonable tone of voice. We must finish these shirts. My people tell me that you're condemned to death in three days and three nights if we can't explain yourself. Is that right? Eliza nodded. Well, my dear, we should be thankful that King Ferdinand is a kind young king and also that I think he is in love with you. <laughs> Eliza wanted to protest, but instead her face went beet red as she remembered the blue eyes of the handsome king and how they had held her own and all the secrets she had wanted to tell him. 
bell-like laughter brought her back to earth. <laughs> I see my people's eyes did not deceive them, Ritziana giggled. Then she became serious again. No matter how he feels, his mother still rules much of the kingdom. She isn't an evil woman, but she is shrewd. She will not let her only son get enchanted by a suspected witch. So, we truly have only three days. Once you get the last tunic sewn and over the head of the swan, your silence will be broken. Eliza looked upset and she held up her empty bag showing that all her nettles were gone. Ritziana waved her away. No matter, we will bring as many nettles as we can each night. Yeah, we have a few with us. And other fairies flew into the room. They could only carry one nettle between three of them and had wrapped their arms with glowing material. When Eliza looked closer, she could see it was flower petals to protect them from the stings of the nettles. Eliza clapped and embraced Ritziana. The prickly little fairy queen only succumbed to her affection for the briefest of moments. Mm -mm, no time for that. We cannot bring you nearly as many as you had been collecting. I have to tell you that we may not be able to get enough to you, but, but we will try. And you, you must work very hard and not let anything happen to these tunics. And with that, she was gone. Eliza relit her candle and began to work. She would do everything in her power to finish. Each day, Eliza would sew the tunics, only stopping and hiding them when the king would come to visit. He would come and sit with the girl for hours on end. He didn't interrogate her. Instead, he told her about his life, about how he had been little more than a boy when his father was killed in a hunting accident and he was forced to become king, about his mother and how she tried to help him, but also to control him, about how he loved to hunt and to joust, but felt out of place at long meetings and state events. And each day, their time together grew longer. And although Eliza could not speak, their heads grew closer together as she listened to his stories. And their hands almost touched, though Eliza was careful to cover her fingers as they were monstrous looking, covered as they were in blisters. Each night, the fairies would arrive and bring more nettles. And Eliza would sew as fast as she possibly could. But... As the third night approached, Eliza still had one more tunic to sew. Time was running out. At dawn, she would be taken to the stake and they would burn her if she couldn't speak and defend herself. The wind whistled and the now familiar bells chimed again. Ritziana landed as always, but this time there were no other fairies with her. Oh, Eliza, my darling, I... I am so sorry. The little queen seemed almost beside herself. There, there is a storm coming tonight and uh, well, uh, oh, we couldn't get the nettles as our, our flower petals, they, they are in hiding. 
The fairy put her hand on the girl's chin and tilted her face towards her as she always did when she had something important to say. Save yourself, child. Speak your truth tomorrow to the king. Your brothers, it is truth. They will remain swans, but you'll all keep your lives. What good does it do to keep silent? A tear rolled down Eliza's face. She couldn't fail her brothers. If she broke her promise, then all would be lost. Maybe, oh, just maybe, a miracle would occur if she kept her word. She kissed Riziana on her cheek. Then she sadly went and blew out her candle. The tiny queen looked down at her and flew away dejectedly. Eliza awoke to knocking on her door. For a second, she forgot where she was, but as the morning sun started peeking through her tiny window, it all came flooding back, and a sense of doom overcame her. This would be her last sunrise. Come in, she said. The guards entered, this time binding her hands behind her back and roughly escorting her through the palace and down through the town to the center square. As she walked, people yelled at her and threw cabbages and tomatoes. The vegetables squashed against her skin and smelled as slimy as they felt. Eliza still had her bag with the nettle tunics inside. She still tried to nurture a faint hope that something, anything, would happen to save her and allow her to transform her brothers. As they arrived at the square, she saw the stake. It was on a tall platform that had brushwood and kindling piled underneath. Eliza felt sick all down to her toes and her legs almost buckled with fear as she was roughly forced to climb the rickety platform. The guards roughly passed her off to an old woman who had a hunched gait and gray hair peeking out from under a dark hood that was shrouding her face. Eliza thought that there was something familiar about her, but the thought was squashed down, buried beneath her fear. They got to the top of the tall pyre. The old lady went to take Eliza's bag. The girl tried to protest and shook her head vehemently. The old woman laughed. A tinkling sound, like bells. <laughs> Now, now, brave girl, for sometimes when you keep your word, others will come to help you. Eliza looked up. It was Mortka. The older woman gently took her bag and opened it. As she did, she produced a fully sewn nettle tunic from underneath her shawl and dropped it in the bag. Riziana is my people, she told me the issue. I have my little ways of helping, Mortka giggled gleefully. <laughs> Just then, there was a rush of wings from above, and as if by magic, which it probably was, twelve beautiful swans descended to the square. There was a gasp of amazement from the crowd. Eliza was about to throw the nettle garments onto them when a voice spoke. It was Queen Francina. 
Young woman, against my better judgment, my son, let the kindness of his heart offer you more mercy than should be given your kind. You've had three days and nights to confess either your witchhood or your innocence. Insolently, you have held your silence. Your period of grace is at an end. Ferdinand looked up at Eliza pleadingly. She stood resolutely. He looked away. Eliza went to speak, but found she still could not. As her hands were bound behind her back, she could see her backpack and the tunic sitting just inches away, but eternally out of reach. Light the fire, said the queen. Eliza saw a hooded man approach with a torch. She closed her eyes, trying to let her mind escape. In her head, she said the words, Please help my brothers. Please save them. Please help my brothers. Please save them. Please help my brothers. Please save them. Smoke started to drift upwards. Through the smoke, Eliza started to see golden dancing lights. The fairies. She felt the ties on her hands untie and herself lifted up from the pyre. She grabbed the tunics from her bag and threw them desperately over the elegant necks of the swans, managing the last and smallest swan as she was lifted high into the air. There was a swishing noise and a tinkling bell-like sound from around her. All around her, the swans were changing. Wings were shortening into arms, necks becoming closer to shoulders, beaks becoming faces. In what seemed like no time, her twelve brothers were in front of her. Eliza, you've saved us. Edric, who had been the smallest swan, ran forward and hugged her. All of her brothers swarmed around her and embraced her. Eliza, is that your name? She heard Ferdinand's voice. She ran to him and embraced him, crying, Yes, yes, that's my name. Oh, Ferdinand, I have so much to tell you. And she did. She told him everything. His mother was a little suspicious, but learning that Eliza was really royalty helped waylay her concerns a lot. Eliza and Ferdinand were married within a month. Mortka became Eliza's closest companion and lady-in-waiting, and fairies were welcomed in the kingdom and court once more, though Queen Ritziana did require her own tiny throne. Eliza's brothers were honored as Ferdinand's knights and closest advisors, and everyone lived happily ever after. As for the evil Queen Marvena, well, Ferdinand and Eliza's brothers would lead an army against her. But that, my friends, is another story. The end. The Fairy's Ball, written by Dr. Judy Arthur, Naomi Rose Mock, vocal talents of Mia Pesta, voice acting by Michael Mello and Hayden Palmer.
Oh, the more